0: Along the way as he's going, he has all sorts of encounters um, with people. And um, it just kind of, the idea that things just happen in a normal course of life. Um, just the goings along that he was doing that we all do. And in that normal course of going, there's all these interactions that happen. And uh, Jesus meets these people, and these incredible stories come out of that place. And I like the fact that he doesn't rush past people. I used um, I haven't really... Figured it out here in um, Arizona yet? But um, I used to hike a lot, and um, when I was going up uphill, um, whenever someone was coming down the road towards me, I'd always stop and carry on a conversation. Cause it gave me a chance to stop and rest. But going downhill, I'd just kind of scoot around people and go off. But Jesus is not like that. He always stops. Um, he always stops in the path. He, he intersects with people and engages them and um, brings something for us as well. And each, count, each encounter Jesus has, because he's God himself, God with us, we looked at that, is, is a revelation. It's, it's a fresh revelation of his presence. And as we looked at in, the, remember the Advent series, we looked at different individuals, and each of them we looked at their encounter with Jesus, with his presence, and then their response. And then over the course of January, we're looking at how do we um, hear God in his word and through other means. And each of them is God brings a revelation to us, and then we're called to have a response to that. And we're going to continue the exact same thing from now through the um, end of March as we encounter Jesus. That's revelation. It's Jesus, God's presence. And we're going to look at how people responded to that. And then hopefully a little bit below that there's always this calling for something else. There's a deeper calling even in these stories. So we're going to um, walk through those, uh, several of them, um, as we walk about, uh, walk with him and see how he interacts, see their responses, see how people are transformed and being uh, transformed in the midst of those things as well. And today we're going to start out with uh, a blind man on the road. Um, Bartimaeus, let me pray, and then we're going to uh, just walk through the story together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for that we get to... Um, I love the Gospels, Lord, in that we get to kind of sink ourselves into these stories of people that you encountered along the way. Um, might we um, be able to enter into it and in the midst of that Lord, um, penetrate our hearts with the things that you want to get um, get stirred up in us in Jesus name. Amen. Um, I'm going to do what I'm going to do this morning, and um, Jerry's going to be talking next week about the Centurion. Um, John O'Hare's going to bring us um, I'm trying to remember where, which one he's got. Uh, I think the, uh, I forgot, but I'm blanking out. But anyways, we've got a bunch of them. They're coming up down the road here. What I'm going to do is I just want to tell the story. We're just going to walk through the story um, without a bunch of extra things on it. But just let's just go through the story. And it's familiar, but let's live the story a little bit. And then I've, all the stuff we talked about last month, I kind of did that. And I'm just going to jump ahead at the end there to um, how, how, the, how the story impressed me. Um, the, the, the one or two things that really got a hold of my own heart and try to share those with you. Um, today. So we're in Luke chapter um, 18. In your bulletin, there's an outline. It identifies the other passages where this is coming from. Matthew chapter 20 and uh, Mark chapter 10 as well. Um, and it starts out with this. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, there was a blind man, and he was sitting by the roadside begging. A blind man sitting by the roadside. When I did youth work, I played guitar. I can do three chords and blind man sit by the road and he cried. Remember that song? Anybody remember that? It was the easy one to play. It's the only one I could play. I'd break the strings and kids always thought that was great and then I wouldn't have to play it anymore. It was great. But um, blind man sit by the road and he cried. That was the whole song, basically. Um, the guy sitting by the side of the road we meet here. Um, in uh, Mark, Matthew 20 and Mark 10, we get a little different perspectives. Um, Mark 10 actually names the person as Bartimaeus. Uh, Matthew actually tells us that there's two blind men on the side of the road. Um, There was probably way more than just two, but these are the two that Jesus encounters here. Um, It appears it's all the same story here, just that Luke is going to pull out one who is unnamed, and I'm going to assume he's Bartimaeus because the encounter is identical as we get out of Mark chapter 10. But he's sitting on the road um, to Jericho. Jericho is about 18 miles from Jerusalem, about five miles from the Jordan River, hot and dusty, um, not a safe place to be, but it's where Jesus is passing through. It's interesting that Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus was leaving Jericho, and uh, Luke tells us that he's approaching Jericho. So how does that work? Um, the the fact is, you remember something bad happened to Jericho like a long time before that. You remember the walls came down, and there's all these ruins, and there's this old city of Jericho, and then actually Herod the Great had actually built up a new like his like summer home kind of deal. Um, in uh, New Jericho, and so he's actually rebuilding Jericho. So we have an older, ruined Jericho and a newer place, and there was a space between the two of close to a mile. So most likely what's happening is Jesus has come into the old city, has passed through the old city, so he's leaving that Jericho, and now he's entering into the newer city, and Bartimaeus is somewhere in between along the road, along the way. It's kind of a, maybe I'm reading into this, but I like the idea of, Jesus passing through this old place. He meets Bartimaeus and brings him to something new. There's something new up ahead. And Bartimaeus is sitting in this old place waiting for that. So Jesus is passing through here. Um, there's two men, as I said, in, uh, in Matthew, and we identify him in Mark as Bartimaeus. Um, it says in Mark that he's the son of Timaeus. Um, interesting that Mark almost never names people that get healed. Uh, this one is named, and even his father's name is given there. Um, I don't know why, but it's possible that he was well-known in the early church. So they all knew his name, and that this encounter carries on down the road, which would be a, um, which I'm going to guess is happening. But he's, uh, he's a blind man. Um, in those days, if you had a disability and couldn't work, um, you have no means by which to get anything. Unless you've got a rich family that was going to pay for you and take care of you, you were completely on your own for yourself and there was no government that's going to give you any money as a matter of fact the roman government just took money from these guys so he's on the side of the road he's blind he can't work we don't know how long he's been blind but it means he's destitute the man has absolutely nothing and so every single day he sits down in this unsafe part of the country along the side of the road he's not sitting on a a uh, a park bench or the bus stop thing. He doesn't have a shade over him. There's not a curb to sit on. It's When it says a dusty road, he is on a dirt road. It's just dirt and people walking by, and he sits there in the dirt day by day by day waiting for someone to give him something. And whatever he gets, that's his sustenance for the day. That's it. That's what life is for him. Um, and in the evening, like the people in our neighborhood here that are on the street, they find a place to sleep for the night. And... Um, goes and and looks for that place and the next day comes back out again his hunger is not something he just experiences on occasion hunger is the way of life for him he's gotten whether he get used to it or not he knows what it means to feel hungry all the time um, as he sits by the side of the road waiting I'm going to guess he was abused Um, if what went on around here is any indication of what went on back there I'm going to guess he was mistreated we have people come up to the office every week and every now and then there's somebody comes in and sits down, they're living on the street and they're beat up. Um, and they're beat up by somebody else that's on the street. They, they, they mistreat each other oftentimes and I'm gonna guess that was the case him. He's blind, there's probably others who took what he had, had mistreated him for a long time and had learned um, that that's how life is for him. Each day is the same. Each day is the same. He gets up from a place, he's hungry, he's dirty, um, he goes, and he sits down on the road, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he gets enough to get something to eat, hopefully, and he eats, and he goes back, he sleeps, and he comes back out and every day the same. And What happens to your mind um, when you're living that kind of life? Every day the same, and there is no chance that things are going to change for him. To me, the mindset is you, you lose hope. There's not a sense of maybe today will be different. Um, even us, we have our ups and down days, right? But you always go, today will be different. I can do something different. But for this guy, um, I don't think that thought occurs to him anymore, that every day is the expectation it's going to be the same as the day before, um, that hope begins to get buried away. Um, those hopes and desires and passions and things that he may have had at some point in life have somehow on the way been buried and put away as he just sits by the roadside begging. Um, continues on, verse, 37, or verse 36, it says, uh, Hearing a multitude going by, he inquired what this meant. Um, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Along the way, what happens? This moment in time for him, something happens. And he's sitting there, the same, all, the, all that happens every day, and now here, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. We're assuming that he knows Something about Jesus, because he's going to cry out to him in a moment. Um, so he must have heard stories. Uh, people have been healed. Um, Jesus is some, some kind of different person. It's interesting that they identify him as a Jesus of Nazareth, this man who's coming by. Mark and uh, Matthew tell us that there was a great multitude. A multitude is a lot of people, by the way. Um, this is a great multitude. So he's on the road, and there's people going by all day long. So it's a busy area. And Jesus is coming by, and it's people all over the place. And we know if we read the Gospels, there were times when Jesus was so mobbed by people, the disciples actually kind of made like a little group around him just to keep everybody back, just to give him some space. People are grabbing onto him and holding him and calling out to him. People are making demands of him. And there's this huge multitude coming, and they're rushed, they're kind of going down this road together. Have you ever? I come out of the stadium at Arizona or something and you're trying to get down those, those ramps and everybody's going for the cars and you're kind of like this and you're just kind of moving down the ramp. It's kind of that idea. You're just trying to move forward in this huge group of people and all the things that would go along with that kind of group of people. I've never been in a huge crowd full of mixed groups. It's People are yelling and they're shouting and they're talking to each other and there's kids that are crying, and there's kids that are lost, and there's people falling down, and there's people going the wrong way, and all that kind of stuff that goes on, and that's probably happening here. You have this huge multitude, and it's noisy, just a loud. So he hears noise on the road, he's listening, he's begging, and suddenly the noise begins to get louder and louder and louder as this big, big group of people begins to move through um, and coming by his way, and so he asks what would be reasonable. He says, what's happening? Tell me what's happening. What is going on? And it's Jesus Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. Jesus is coming by. Jesus, on this moment in time, in the midst of his very, very ordinary, every day the same, nothing's ever going to change, moment in time, there's an encounter. Jesus is coming down the road. And we don't know if he's, um, way off the road, and this is at the other end of the building away, or whether it's couldn't be close by, but there's always people who are going to come come past him here. Verse 37, it said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Verse 38, he says, he cried out. He cried, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's interesting, he says, Jesus, son of David, not Jesus of Nazareth. There's a sense that he understood at least something, that Jesus was more than what everybody else thought he was. And, there's a, and he begins to cry out um, to him. And there's an immediate response. They tell him it's Jesus passing by, and he does not wait or hesitate. Immediately he begins to cry out for Jesus. He starts shouting out um, Jesus' name. If you've ever been in a crowd and you're trying to get somebody's attention, if you've ever been with a bunch of people and you see somebody... I mean, you're over at a game or something. You see somebody that you want to see, and everybody's yelling. So you don't start carrying a conversation with them. You just want to get their attention. So you pick one word, and you just say it, or you just shout their name, you just say it to get their attention. That's what he does here. He keeps it really simple. He just says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's all he says. That's it. And he begins to say it over and over and over and over again. Verse 39, those who were in front implying that he's sitting in the road and they're in front of him. Um, It says, rebuked him. It's not very nice. Telling him to be silent. But it says, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So he starts shouting it out, shouting it out. Um, And everybody begins to hear it, where it's starting to get irritating. Have you ever been in a, a game or something and there's some, one person who's just shouting over and over again and it just absolutely drives you crazy particularly if they're for the other team but if they're saying something wrong or you got your kids with you and they're saying something they shouldn't be saying or whatever and you're just like, you feel like you just want to turn around and tell them, cut it out and here they're, he's shouting louder and louder and as the noise gets bigger and bigger, Bartimaeus doesn't quiet down, he just begins to shout louder louder and louder and louder, the same thing over and over and over again. I was kind of wondering, why did the people tell him to be quiet? Um, maybe they're just irritated. I, I suspect, though, um, when Bartimaeus, um, in this cry, he's crying out, have mercy. There's a, a cry of need that's pouring out of him. And I don't know if, if somebody here all of a sudden stood up and said, I want to share something, and you stood up and started sharing, I mean, really kind of opened it up. Here's my deepest need. Um, it would be a great thing, but you know what? I can just tell you honestly, I'd be uncomfortable. I'd get uncomfortable. I, I get uncomfortable. I get nervous about it because it, it, you, somebody exposes themselves in that way. Everybody else gets uncomfortable, even if it's a good thing. And Bartimaeus is just kind of, he's just letting it out. He's saying, this is, here's my need. I am as needy as you can get, and I'm going to let everybody know, and I need mercy. I need mercy, and he starts shouting it. And I think everybody got uncomfortable. Everybody got uncomfortable, and um, they tell him to be quiet, but he doesn't. He gets louder and louder and louder. And then the great point of this, this story happens here in verse 40. It says, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped, and he's commanded him to be brought to him, and he says he came near. Isn't that great? In the midst of all this stuff going on, and Jesus is rushing down the road, and this whole big group is going, and it's pressing and moving, and here's this guy shouting out. And if they go any further, his voice is going to get faint, right? It's going to fade out. And Jesus stops right there and says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Jesus stops. It says, Jesus said to him, told him to come. And it says, Bartimaeus came near. Mark says that he actually threw off his cloak that he was wearing. And it says he sprang up. I mean, he was ready to respond. And they brought him to Jesus. Jesus stops and he comes to him. We need that kind of response, the kind of response that when Jesus stops, which he does all the time, that we are ready to respond. We spring up, and we're saying, I'm ready. I want to hear what you have to say. Um, an uninhibited response, completely unhesitating. The question comes out, why did Jesus stop? Um, he is not the first person asking Jesus to do something for him. Everybody was asking Jesus to do something for him. That's how we get in the Gospels. They're constantly asking him to do something. As a matter of fact, most people could just grab him and touch him or were getting healed. So it's like, what made him stop? Um, to make him be quiet? I don't think so. Um, was it to show everybody how, what great things he can do? I don't think that was it. He had been doing that all along. As a matter of fact, he is on his way to Jerusalem to die at this point. He is set on another course. actually it tells one of their passages that he was... He was set on the course to go to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to stop him. There was one time he was not going to stop on the way. This was it, because he was going to go to finish his his course. And yet he stops. And I think it's because when Bartimaeus' voice rang out, he heard something in him that he didn't hear in other people. And he heard, I think he heard an unbeared heart that was just completely opened up, and it was ready. And Jesus can hear that. Jesus can hear that through everything else. He hears that heart that's going, I am desperate. I am absolutely desperate. And Jesus hears it, and he stops and responds to him. So he comes, and the people bring him to him. Verse 41, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus standing there right in front of him. The man comes. He can't see. And Jesus says, What do you want me to do? Isn't that a great question? It meant Jesus sitting here with us, and he just looks at you and says, what do you want me to do for you? And in, in, implied in that question is, whatever it is, I'll do it. I and mean, that's what comes through here. He's not just saying, give me five choices, and I'll pick one. He's not saying, uh, what do you want me to do, and I'll think about it. He could have asked that differently. He just says, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? It's just wide open. He can ask whatever he wants. Um, th- we might think it's a silly question because Bartimaeus is blind. I mean, Jesus knew it. Um, Of course, what does he want him to do? He wants to see, right? And that's what he says. Bartimaeus says, I want to have my eyesight. I want to be able to see again. Um, He couldn't hardly think about anything because his blindness was characterizing his entire life. But Jesus asks him anyways, and I think the reason Jesus asks him is he wants Bartimaeus to speak it out. He wants him to say out loud, this is my need. This is what I want. Um, There's something about when Jesus comes and, and comes to us, there's something about just speaking out the need. Jesus knows it, right? He knew it was in his heart. He knew what he needed. He, he healed people all the time that never asked for it. Um, he just knew what they needed and stepped in. It actually says over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus knowing their heart and Jesus' response to it. But he says to this guy, he says, tell me what you want. Say it. And he says, I want to be able to see I want to be able to see. He just identifies his need and his desire right up front. And what happens? Well, that's the rest of the story. He says, Lord, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight, and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The story's done. He says, what do you want from me? He says, I want to see. He says, you got it. And the story ends. And Bartimaeus says, yes. Yes praise God and the people glorify God and what happens? They continue on their path. They continue on the story and there they go down the road again. So that's the story. Good story isn't it? Along the way. Two things here just of I, I my own thoughts about it. The first one is the fact that Jesus stops and takes care of a very real need. I love that. Jesus stops Um, We have needs, and we cry out, and um, we're hurting, and there's things in our life that come along, uh, small things, big things, important things, probably unimportant things, and guess what? Jesus stops for those things. He always stops for those things. He doesn't say, ah, that one's just not a big deal. Forget it. I'm not going to stop. That's what I do, right? I I measure how big needs are depending on how much attention I'm going to give to it and how quickly I'm going to get irritated by the request because I don't think it's that big of a deal anymore. And so I'm going to, I'm like, okay, I've given enough time to this person. Um, Jesus is not like that. It doesn't matter what the request is. He stops to meet needs. I love it. He's always stopping. He never rushes by. He always rushes towards us. Here he was on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus, if anybody was needy, it was Jesus. He's already told disciples just previous to this, I'm going to go to Jerusalem I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be buried. Die, I'm going to be dead. And I'm going to be raised again. He's already told him this is going to. This is what's going to happen. And Jesus had in the, in the midst of his greatest time of need, he stops, he says, "What do you need? What do you need from me?" The correlate to that is all of our needs matter. Um, whether our need is, I just need to pay the TEP bill by Wednesday or they're going to shut it down. Um, I just wish that someone would remember me on Valentine's Day, you know. Um, I was underneath, I was, had Friday, I made sure I kept Friday off. I'm trying to take Fridays off, and I had Friday off, and I had plans for it. I ended up spending half the day underneath my wife's car trying to get the starter out. Um, and then I realized I had no, nothing to clean my hands with. So I tried using brake fluid. It actually worked pretty good. Um, but I had to go pick up my son, and I'm halfway through this thing, and I'm covered in grease, so I just put these big, huge gloves on, and I'm driving through Desert Christian, people are waving to me out of their, fan, their nice cars, and I'm in this, my thing, I'm waving with work gloves on. and um, I didn't want to do that, you know. and I'm underneath my car. I was not thinking about any other things deeper than just getting this silly starter out of the car, and I'm telling Jesus about it. You know what? He cared about that. Because that's what was going on for me at that moment. He cared about it. He stopped and listened. He's gonna, I don't know if he helped me get it. I think he helps me get things like that out. But the car started. It was a miracle when it was all done. He cares about our troubles. He cares that we need food. He wants to take care of our bills. He worries about our hurts. He, he cares about the fact that we had a conflict with our roommate the night before. And it sure will be all gone in a day. But at that moment, we feel it. He cares about those things. And he stops and he meets those needs because he knows when, when those needs are unmet, we have trouble thinking about other things, don't we? They just dominate our mind. Those, those things are just, they're, so, they're temporal and they're not, and they get resolved eventually, but they set on our heart and they keep us from going further and Jesus wants to meet those needs. He takes care of Barton Mason's blindness, which is a huge need, but it's still a temporal one. There was more important things for him, but Jesus takes care of it. On the road. I love the fact Jesus stops and he takes care of it. The second thing is whenever Jesus asks a question, it's always an invitation to something more. Jesus' questions are always an invitation. And here in this case, we're getting the same thing. As a matter of fact, you can go back um, earlier in this gospel, just before this, Jesus has a couple encounters. Remember, he encounters a rich young ruler, which happens just before this. And the rich young ruler comes along to Jesus and says, tell me what i got to do for eternal life. And Jesus says, well, keep the Ten Commandments. And he says, well, I've done all that, which we all know is not true. But that's what he said, okay? I've done all those things. So Jesus says to him what? Take everything you've got and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, if you give everything to the poor, do you get saved, by the way? No, it doesn't work that way. What was going on? He was bound to his riches. They bound up his heart. And they kept him from understanding God's re- deeper touch into his life. So Jesus wants to free him from that. So what was Jesus hoping he would say? "Sure, I'll do that. Maybe, maybe not even that. maybe he'd been great if the man had said, "I can't do that. I love it too much. I love those things too much. I can't get rid of them." Even that response would have been a great response. He doesn't respond at all. He says, "The rich man walked away sad. Nothing." He didn't unbear his own heart, didn't even share that I can't get rid of my riches. They're just too important to me. I think if he had said that, Jesus said, that's what I wanted to hear, because I can do something about that for you. I think that's what he would have said. But he doesn't share it. He goes away. Jesus asks a question in a sense here, and the man walks away untouched. Later on, in the, right earlier, Mark 10, verse 36, we have the disciples coming along, and they come along. And the mother of one of them is with them. And Jesus says exactly the same question that's here with Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He asks them. And guess what the disciples said? They said, we want to be one of us on your right hand and one of us on your left hand in the kingdom. Now, who would ever say that to God? Who would ever say that? But that's what they say. At least they're honest about it. You know, they just put it out there. That's, that's what we want. And Jesus asks them the same question. What do you want from me? And they say, we want to be on your right and on your left. And does Jesus say that's a silly thing to ask for? Does he berate him over it? He doesn't do any of that. He actually says, I would love to give you that. If that was mine to give, I would give you that. But he calls him to something else. He calls him to something deeper. He actually lets them share, that's, that's my deepest longing. That's my desire. And Jesus says, okay. But he, he's, he meets him in that place. He asks a question because he wants him to get to a deeper place in your life and here with Bartimaeus he asks him what do you want me to do for you and Bartimaeus says I just want to be able to see but I think behind that question Jesus asks us something deeper he wants us to go deeper so what do you really want now I've taken care of that it'd be great if after Bartimaeus gets his sight received then Jesus said now what do you want from me and he's looking for an answer and then when he gives an answer he might say to him what else do you want from me and keep asking that question till he gets down deeper and deeper and deeper to those very deep desires that God has built into us, a desire for his presence and for his life and for knowing what life looks like when I am given all those things up and over to God himself. And so I think he's asking us to go a little bit deeper with his questions as being an invitation. When Jesus comes in, he enters our life, he transforms us, and he wants us to get in touch with those deeper God-given longings that bring life to us. But there's always these things that are in the way. And there's a couple things that get in the way. And one of them is that we just have basic needs. We just talked about that. The basic things of life, there's all these needs that we have that dominate our attention. And Jesus wants to step into our life. And guess what he wants to do? He wants to meet those needs because they get in the way. So he wants to take care of those things. The scriptures say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God in what? Everything gets added unto us. He's talking about food and clothing and shelter, those things. He says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of those needs. But then there's those other needs that we have that if we dare do it, the disciples did, which is great. Bartimaeus did. They would reveal some of the deep desires and longings that maybe are not good ones. Those things that dominate our life, that we find life in, that are not the healthy things. And Jesus still says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, well, I I just want... Um, whatever those things might be. Maybe we depend on something to drink to get us going or a pill that we take. Maybe we've trusted in relationships to give us a sense of feeling and a sense of belongingness and value and that we trust not God for that but a relationship for that. Perhaps it's my, your ability to study well and succeed in a, in a job or in school and you really find your identity there. And you just want to get more pats in the back because it really feels good. It does. And it, it presses you forward. And so Jesus says, what do you want from me? He says, well, I just, I want to succeed at school so I can even do even better because this is what gets me alive. And Jesus will say, you know what? I understand that, but you know what? I can free you from that because there's something better. And I can do that for you, but you know what? I can remove that from you as well and free you up to those deeper things. And some of those desires that we have and those things that we depend on are not healthy things to find our life in. And I think Jesus' invitation to us, what do you want from me, is to speak those desires as well and go, that's where I live, Lord. That's where, that's where I'm at. And he says, that's what I want to hear, because then he could take those things and he can free us from those things in order to unleash us to the deeper things. This is from uh, Ruth Barton. She says things much better than I do. So let me just read what she has to say about this. Jesus himself routinely asked people questions that helped them get in touch with their desire and name it in his presence. He often brought focus and clarity to his interactions with those who were spiritually hungry by asking them, What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Such questions had the power to elicit deeply honest reflection in the person to whom they were addressed, and opened the way for Christ to lead him into a deeper level of spiritual truth and healing. When Jesus says, what do you want from me? He wants us to look deeper. What, what are the things that I really do trust in? What are the things that I really do want? And some of them, like I said, are not all good things. And Jesus even wants us to speak those in his presence so that he can begin to help us see what they are and open us up to something else. Similarly, she says, there are desires within us that work against the life of the Spirit, desires rooted in selfish ambition and pride, lust, fear, self-protection, and other unexamined motives. These desires lurk within all of us, and that is why giving any attention at all to desire feels like we're opening up a Pandora's box, but it's even riskier to refuse to acknowledge what's real within us because whether we acknowledge them or not, these dynamics are at work wielding a subterranean power over each of us. Their power only gets stronger the longer we repress them. How much safer it is for ourselves and everyone around us if we open up our desire in the presence of Jesus and allow him to help us sift through them. As disturbing as it is to be exposed in this way, sometimes it is exactly what we need. For then and only then can Jesus gently strip away that which is false and destructive in our desire and fan into flames those desires that are good and true. Let me read that part again when we open up and express those things in his presence, um, then Jesus can gently strip them away, that which is false and destructive in our desires, and fan into flames those desires that are right and good and true. So what does Jesus do? Some of our needs he meets, doesn't he? Some of our needs and desires he says, I know you're there, that's not where life is found. Eventually those things that you depend on are going to let you down. So, Name them in my presence. That's okay because I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to go to that place with you and I'm going to begin to free you from those things so then you begin to find your life and your desire and your hope in him and in him alone. And he wants to go into those places with us. He invites us to seek and look for those deeper and truer longings, those things of enjoying his presence and the working of his image in us. You know what? Jesus did it as well. When Jesus, a week after this story, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? And he brings his closest friends with him. And what does Jesus say to, to the Father? He says, I don't want to do this. He, he actually speaks something out loud that maybe wasn't to sound like the thing to say. I don't want to do this, he says. He shares his, his, this, the truth of his desire in his heart. I don't really want to do this. And the father meets him and he ministers to him and what does he say, Whatever you will, that's what I'm gonna do. And he frees him up to those things and those longings, those desires that the father was moving him on. And he gives an example of something we're called to do as well. What I want you to do, and um, encourage you to do, and we can do as we're singing this morning. It's a good place to start. Um, But this will take weeks, by the way. It will take weeks, if not longer, if you persevere. Um, Each day, think of Jesus going to you and saying, what do you want from me? Jesus asks you, what do you want from me? And it may be, I just want to pass the test tomorrow. I just want to get it done. Or I just need to get the car working. Or I just need to resolve this hurt with this person. Whatever those things are, bring those to him. And then Jesus, pretend he's asking again, what do you want from me? And you're going, I wish I was much more successful because then I would get someplace and I would feel better about myself. And he goes, okay, I'll come there with you too. And he begins to start showing how that's not going to let you down He starts pulling that away. Ask again, Jesus says, what do you want from me? And he asks again and again and again. And if you let that question burn every day, what Jesus is going to do, is he's going to take you down, he's going to begin to strip away the things that aren't going to serve you well in life, as well as meeting your needs, and along the way he's going to bring you to this place going, where you're going, I just want to be with you. I just want to know that you're there. I just want to know that life is only found in you. That's where it's going to take us. Um, but it takes a while, because we've got all these things, don't we? We've got all this other stuff going on. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Share with what it's going on. And bring it to me as well, Janice. If you could bring the worship team up, um, we're going to sing a little bit. The table here was open to me. Um, one of uh, we always read to our kids, lots of stories to our kids, um, great little children's books and cheesy Christian children's books as well. They're all they're all out there. We had one book that had all these stories of Jesus and these really simple pictures. But one of them was the story of Bartimaeus. I remember reading it and it just had these very simple lines and it was all the whole story was from. Bartimaeus's perspective so you could see him looking at people and you see his of you know like he was seeing you see Jesus going by and all these kind of things and the people coming him shouting out and suddenly the page is all black because it's Bartimaeus looking he can't see anything and Jesus says I'll, I'll heal you and this, I can't remember the, the lines I remember I remember Dr. Seuss pretty well I don't remember these very well but the uh the exact line is Jesus heals them and in the page the next page you open it's still black but it's got two little eye holes so like like like, so you're, like you're seeing out of his eyes for the first time. And on the other side of the whole thing you see Jesus, the the white Jesus, you know, standing there on the other side of these the little eyeballs. And um, I always cried when I read my kids at some, because there's something about open and then also in this show, the next picture was a show as a picture of Bartimaeus kneeling by Jesus and he's crying. And um, and the idea, that, you know, when Bartimaeus opens his eyes, what does he see? He sees Jesus. That's who he sees. Um We have the disciples up on a mountain and a cloud comes down and God speaks out of the cloud and the cloud goes up and the disciples are terrified and they look up and they see Jesus, don't they? We have a a woman who's been bleeding and going to doctors and she's lost all of her money and she has nothing left and she grabs onto his cloak in the midst of a huge crowd and Jesus turns around and she looks up and what does she see? She sees Jesus. We have a woman who's caught in adultery and they're about ready to kill her and she's in the dirt with her head down, and Jesus calls to her, and everybody's gone, and she looks up, and she sees Jesus. Um, we have a thief on the cross. We'll look at him on Good Friday. And all the things going on, and he looks to the side, and what does he see? He sees Jesus. And his, um, in this story, God's, the Lord's question, what do you want from me? is all designed for us to see Jesus more clearly, because that's the source of life for us. And to begin to see past all the other things that dominate our attention, our time, and our needs, and the things that we rely on that are going to not hold up well eventually to get us to see Jesus. And we have the table here as a reminder that he did all the work for us. The table, as Janice already said, is an invitation that says, come. I've already done all the work. The work has been done. It's all yours. Um, Just come. Come with all those needs. Come with all the things you depend on that are are never going to work for you but come anyways to all those things and I'll go to those places with you and I'll begin to free you from those things come and he says what do you want me um, to do for you Lord bless the uh, table behind me and the one in the back um, our singing our time together um, bring the words of what do you want me to do for you back to our mind and our heart over and over and over again until you get down to the very core where our heart begins to cry out just for your presence just for your work I'm just for your life, that you may accomplish that in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.